Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, uh, we are going on a mission. We are following along with Paul on his mission as he travels, really, around the world as he knows it, a great and terrible journey. Uh, But as we begin, I want us to kind of think about uh, an old school statement that was made way back in the day, and and it it goes like this. Wherever you go, wherever you go, can you fill in the blank? Wherever you go, there you are. Wherever you go, there you are. But that sounds lonely. Sounds depressing. Sounds painful. Wherever you go, there you are, as if you're the only one on the journey. I started processing this in my head this week, and, and I actually, I took it to heart because I started riding my bike more lately, not just to church, but I would ride up and down on the Pollyann Trail, trying to increase my distance each time, and even the rocks cried out to me a warning about this. I don't know if you can read it because it's spray painted on very loosely, but it says caution. And the rocks were telling the truth because I got to a point in my journey where it looked like this. Home was all the way to the right and I was found all the way to the left. And I don't know if you can see this because it's just in the, in the top right corner. So let's zoom in there for you so that you can get a better idea. I have no signal I rode my bike so far, I traveled back in time to a, to a land where there was no hope. I wanted to text Liz and say, I, I can't text you. I, right? No, it's not called Leonard. It's not, we'll get to Leonard in a minute. Right? 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 And, and, and I'm there, and I'm sitting there, and even if I wanted to contact someone for help because I was out of water and ready to pass out, I had ridden five miles out, I couldn't. I had no signal. And, and I came back, and I finally made it back, 10 miles total, and, and that was Monday, and throughout the week, I rode maybe three, four miles at a time just to keep it going. And on Friday, I said to myself, Today's the day I'm going to go even further than that land before time with no signal. And so I traveled to an unknown place. And I don't, you can't read the sign because it says the village of Leonard. Right? I traveled even further. Seven and a half miles out. Seven and a half miles back in. Oh, yeah. Come on, buddy. You got it. And, and I got to be honest, it, it felt lonely, but it also felt good. Because throughout the whole time, I had been listening to, to worship music, and I started listening to, to uh, Bible passages as I'm reading along in the, in the text, and it's just going into my ears, and I'm remembering what God says to me all the time. And so he says to us in the gospel, the very last thing before he ascends into heaven is go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And so if we're going to course correct on the name of the chapter, we're going to cross out Paul's mission and we're going to put our mission. Because the way that Paul operates his life, the way that Paul lives his life, is one where he sacrifices his life for the sake of those who don't know Jesus. But when God calls us to go, that sounds hard too. That sounds challenging too. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, a church he founded, I have become all things to all people that I might save some. And why does he do it? What's his motivation? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. You see, he says, I've become all things to all people that he might save some. But Paul was not always Paul. Before he could proclaim the gospel, Paul was the one who persecuted the gospel. Before he was the greatest missionary the church had ever known, he was the greatest villain the church had ever known. Because early in the days of the church, when they had an irresistible message of love from Jesus, love shared with one another, there was a certain group of people that did not want it to be shared. And Paul was the leader of that group. And he would hunt Christians down and kill them. And Acts 8 tells us that when Stephen, one of the earliest disciples of Jesus, who was chosen to be a leader in the Christian movement, when he was stoned, Saul was there basically collecting the coats and approving of the execution of Stephen. And Luke tells us in Acts chapter 8, there arose that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Saul was ravaging the church. And because they were threatened where they were, they scattered. And the message of God was proclaimed beyond the walls of the city of Jerusalem. So even though Paul meant it for evil, God worked it for good because the proclamation of the gospel went out beyond just the city where the Jews were. You see, Saul was the greatest threat to the early church. He was the greatest threat to the proclamation of the gospel. But even this man, breathing out murderous threats, could not stop what God was doing. And Saul was ready to continue the mission. This time, he's traveling outside of the city. Acts chapter 9 tells us that Saul is approaching Damascus in Syria, ready to hunt down even more Christians. And as he approached Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Saul acknowledges the lordship of the voice. And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And I want you to know right now that there is power in what Jesus says there. Because when you and I are hurt for the sake of the gospel, when you and I are harmed for the sake of the gospel, it is as if Jesus himself is being harmed 
Because Jesus says we are part of his body. When Saul is breathing out threats against the church, Jesus says, you're persecuting me. And so Jesus confronts the greatest persecutor of the church. He blinds him. Jesus tells a man named Ananias in the city of Damascus to guide Paul, Saul, to faithfulness. And Ananias at first says, are you sure, God? I've heard about this guy that you're sending me to go to. I'm not really confident that I should talk to him. And God says, go, and he does. And Saul listens to Jesus. And persecution becomes proclamation. And everyone is blown away as the greatest villain in the early church becomes one of its greatest heroes. But Paul, Saul, could not do this on his own. Only God could change his heart from threatening the church to proclaiming Christ crucified. And chapters later, after he had stayed and studied for a long time, Paul is chosen and is sent out. Acts 13 tells us, Luke writes for us, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Mananean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. One of the other greatest threats to the church, Herod the Tetrarch, had a friend who was a Christian. And Saul. This is a weird group if you've ever gotten one together. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. And for basically the next 15 years of Saul's life, God would continue to transform him as he lived in mission, proclaiming the great work of Jesus, and he would travel. This is hard to see on the screens here, so I want you to go home and look it up today, all the different places that Paul went. This is just his first missionary journey. He goes from Antioch to Salamis to Paphos. He goes all over the Mediterranean Sea, spreading the gospel. Tarsus and Seleucia. This is his second missionary journey, again, traversing great distances. And it's a good thing he had a jet boat and an SUV to help him in the journey along the way because that made it a lot easier for him. No. No. But it, it was good because even though he was separated from his family, he could still FaceTime back home and be connected. No. He was disconnected. He was let go. And he goes all over to Rhodes, to Kos, to Atheris, to Corinth, to Philippi, to Troas, Lystra and Durba, Tarsus and Antioch. And if those two journeys weren't enough, he goes on another journey completely different than the first two going to Caesarea and Philippi, going to Rhodes and Patara, Lystra, Derba again, Tarsus, checking in at Berea and Athens. And then at the very end of his life, which we'll talk about more next week, he makes his final journey to Rome. 
where he would confront his accusers, that he was sharing a message other than life in Jesus. And why would Paul sacrifice everything, endure everything? He knows people are dying who don't know Jesus. And he goes. Paul writes some of his letters to those churches that he founded while he was arrested and sitting in chains in prison. We think the persecutions we face are difficult and certainly in relative form they are. But compared to Paul, who is beaten and bloodied, compared to Paul, who is thrown into chains, Paul says this when he's locked up. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's in prison and he's praising God. He says, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord of my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because they know I'm here for the proclamation of the gospel, those who are outside of the persecution are even more bold to share the love of Jesus. Paul says later in the letter, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. For my desire is to bar- depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. To, but to remain with you is more necessary on your account. Don't be deceived. The best thing that can happen in your life is its end, Paul says. Because then you're with Jesus. But until that day comes, until God welcomes you home, Paul says, everything else is about Christ. For me to live is Christ, Paul says. And not for himself, not for for himself, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary for you and me so that he can share the words of encouragement like he does in the very next chapter of the letter that he writes to the Philippians. If there is any encouragement from Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, not a full amount, not bursting over, like if you have a drop of encouragement, if you have a drop of comfort and participation and affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 
Paul gives us a description of the ideal life of the Christian family, this body of Christ, and then he tells us this ideal that you would hope for, you already have because Jesus gives it to you. And when we consider others more significant than ourselves, it's those who are outside of the family, who don't know Jesus, who need to hear of the life that he gives Paul is willing to sacrifice everything, his freedom, even his very life, for the sake of the gospel that goes out. Later in the letter in chapter 3, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul was in the most privileged position in the Jewish culture that you could possibly be. When Jesus tells the crowds of Pharisees who were gathered to stone the woman, Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And that's important to know because if you cast the first stone, you're probably the most holy in the room, which means the blood guilt would never be on your hands. And only the one who threw the last stone, the killing blow, would be guilty and needing of repentance. But when they stoned Stephen, Paul was so righteous among those that were gathered he didn't even have to throw a stone. He just held on to their coats. And he gave up his position, and he gave up his power, and he says, for Jesus' sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. And the, the English word rubbish there is a Greek cuss word. He counts them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul says, look to the people that are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and do what they do. Towards the end of his letter, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord that now at length you've revived your concern for me. He was there and he planted the church there and he, he grew the church there and it moved forward and then he was disconnected from them by great distances because he had to move on. And so Paul says, you were indeed concerned for me but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And I don't want us to separate that verse 13 from the rest of the letter where Paul talks about the sacrifice, where Paul talks about his need, where Paul talks about his pain. I can do all things 
through him who strengthens me. And sometimes the strength for the day comes from each other. I went riding my bike on a trail that wanted to kill me and that even warned me along the way. And I'm riding back on that first Monday, less than a mile to go, parched. I need to get another water bottle. I am just so lost. And I'm, I'm riding along the trail and I see this, this man coming at me who looks distant but familiar and I almost ride past him, but then I slam on my brakes. I lose all of my momentum. I come to a standstill, and I see that it's Paul Schmoody, who's a member here. And the, the thing about our competitive uh, natures is that I'm riding a bike, and Paul is running, and Paul is running at a pace faster than I'm riding my bike. Do not be deceived. We both went 10 miles that day. It took me about an hour 20. I think he definitely did it in less than an hour. You can't see it on his hat real clearly, but it says Iron Man. He's running, feels like a million of them compared to none. And, and, and I needed that. I was coming to the end and you have this burst of encouragement. You have this, this burst of joy. You have this burst of, yes, I can do it because I have someone to encourage me. I don't know if you noticed this, but at the beginning of our message today, when I talked about Jesus' words, I left out the most important words that Jesus told us about the process of going and making disciples. He says, as the last word, I am with you always to the end of the age. He never leaves us. He never abandons us. He is always with us so that we can do the work that he has called us to do. And Paul tells us what that work is in, in the letter to the Ephesians. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, who is Christ, from, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Jesus can't leave us. He can't abandon us because he is with us. Because we are his body and he is our head. For each part in working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so we change the fill in the blank. Wherever you go, there you are is a tremendously lonely way to experience life. And I hope that today Jesus can take that away from you. Because he says, wherever you go, there I am. And that is the name of God with you and for you and in you. So that you are never alone and you are always loved. And when you go on mission, Jesus is there. Pray with me. Lord God, Heavenly Father, 
At times in our lives, we make ourselves needlessly lonely. Remind us that we are not alone, but that you are with us, that you are inside of us, dwelling and making us your temple. Remind us that we are with you and that we are together for you. That where we go, you are. This we pray through the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen.